Welcome to The Shalene Show. Shalene has helped thousands with her books, seminars, and online academies. She's the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Push, and a mother of two. December is a really good time to think about goal setting. I mean, everybody thinks of New Year's resolutions and goal setting in January, but right now, this is the time for you to start thinking about what you want your next year to look like. And that's why I had to bring on someone who I just adore everything about this man. This is Michael Hyatt that you're about to meet, and I was introduced to Michael Hyatt by some of my own students. I would teach these things and share pieces of my life and my faith and my family and my commitment to my marriage and how that was all intertwined with my goal setting. And so many people had asked if I'd heard of the author Michael Hyatt or if I'd read his books. And so, of course, I looked him up and started reading his books and reading his blog daily. He's just one of those people who fits my criteria for a mentor, which you can agree with it or disagree with it, but I always look at my mentors and how they treat their family first. That's one of my prerequisites. Like if, if their family doesn't factor in, then it's not a good mentor for me because I need a mentor who places their family and their faith first. And that's who Michael Hyatt is. Michael has this really unique perspective of having lived in the corporate world as well as being an entrepreneur. As a very young man, he was the vice president of marketing at Thomas Nelson. He also started his own publishing company, which was eventually acquired. He then used his talents to become a successful literary agent from 1992 until 1998, but he realized he kind of missed that corporate world. So he rejoined Thomas Nelson Publishing and served as their CEO until 2011. That's when Michael decided to take his leadership training and teach others with his company, International Leadership. He's written eight books, two of which have been New York Times bestsellers. The man knows leadership, he knows goal setting, he knows publishing, he knows platform. He is the author of one of New York Times bestselling books, platform, get noticed in a noisy world. And what you might not know about Michael, which I think is really cool, is that he has served as a deacon of his church for 27 years. You're going to fall in love with him. Michael Hyatt, Shalene Johnson, this is such an honor to have you on my show. Shalene, I am so excited. <laughs> I listen to your podcast every week and just to be with you is an honor. Well, I, I like when, for example, recently when you went through the change and you decided you were going to have it interview style, and I listened to that episode where you're explaining the reason why you wanted to do that. And, you know, just like kind of, I remember thinking to myself, it's okay, accept change. It's, it's, it's going to be okay. And I love it. I love it too, because it's a lot easier to do. But I just think that Michelle, my co host, she just pushes the conversation so much deeper, asks me questions, doesn't let me get away with anything. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Yeah, there's an accountability factor, too, when there's another person there who knows you mm -hmm. and can ask those kind of questions. I wondered, because now you're there, it's also a video podcast. Is that correct? It is. Yep. Did you were you videotaping when it was just you? No, uh. I wasn't. But, you know, we changed the way that we do it all together because now we're batch recording. One of the things that was uh, difficult on me is that this would take about a day a week to produce mm. the podcast. I know you've just gone through a thing with yours. <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, I finally got it down to it was about a half a day, but it was still too much time. And it was like I would finish the podcast, and mine's only a weekly podcast, but then it was like I would, I would celebrate that for about a nanosecond, and then I would begin dreading having to do it the next week. Mm. So with Michelle, I said, let's do this. Let's get in a bona fide recording studio where neither one of us are editing it. And mm -hmm. uh, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, where we have these on every corner just about. 
Yeah, so we went to a recording studio and we did we do now 13 episodes in a row. And then I said, well, gosh, if we're here, why don't we bring in the video crew and go ahead and videotape it and see what a video uh, podcast would do. So that's what we're doing currently. Okay, can I ask a few girly questions? You can. <laughs> Does Michelle then, because you'll have to forgive me, I, I'm such an audible learner that I've only listened to them. I haven't watched them. Does Michelle change outfits for each episode? Well, that's not a girly question for a guy that has five daughters. That's, that's my, true. Well, that's so, right. Uh, yeah, so here's what we do. <laughs> we change outfits every two episodes, but we're very strategic about it. So we do one and six in the same episode or in the same outfit. And then we do two and seven and three and eight and so forth. So at least it's six weeks between episodes when you see us in the same outfit. Oh my gosh, that's brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. That's like systems. That's why you're such a genius. It's like systems that allow these things to flow. And, and then you can... You take the work out of it. It's just pure enjoyment. Well, and, it, and it's so fun because now she's doing all the, the prep for it. And we just get in the studio. and We just have these amazing conversations. And it's, it's put the joy back in podcasting for me. So if you don't already listen, please, you've got to become a subscriber. And I love Michelle's voice, by the way. Oh, thank you. She, I mean, I don't know why I'm thanking you. It's her voice. <laughs> but she does a tremendous job, doesn't she? She's just. Oh, yeah. She's very mature. And honestly, she's got a very complex life with uh, adopted kids and uh, some health challenges. And, and it just makes her a deeper, richer person. Yeah, very uplifting. And today, that's what we want to do is, is kind of give people some of those special tips, your secret sauce as it comes to designing the life. You know, it, this is your life. And that requires some planning. And you are such a master at this. I want to talk to you because uh, we, we're kindred spirits in this regard. You know, I think we both share um, a lot of things in common. Uh, faith, our, our devotion to our spouse, keeping ourselves accountable because we can, you know, easily slip into workaholicism and, yes. and, and just loving teaching people. Yeah, when I listen to your podcast, I just, I feel like even though we've never met face to face, I feel such a kindred spirit with you, with your values and with what you teach. and what's important to you and the way you deliver it. We're brother and sister from a different mother. Yay, I love it. So so let's dig into goal setting because I yeah. think it'll be really cool to kind of hear how you and I approach this a little differently, but then again, how, how we are so aligned and I think that's how the universe or God brings us together. But for those of you listening, you were supposed to hear this message today because you can design your life the way you want it to look, not the way somebody else necessarily wants it to look, but it does require some planning. And, and I think a lot of that starts with goal setting, but what would you say is the number one misconception people have about goal setting? I think the number one conception is that people just can kind of have this vague aspiration and not make it concrete or specific and that somehow they'll kind of drift toward it. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes more than that. I think you've got to be very specific. You've got to be very concrete. And I do think there's enormous power in writing down something. Um, and again, it's got to be specific and concrete, but just the mere act of writing it down makes a huge difference. In fact, I, I quote in my Best Year Ever course, this statistic that came out of some research that was done by Gail Matthews um, in California. And she basically uh, looked at people, I think it was about 265 people that she studied over a couple of years. And she found out that if you actually write down your goal, just the mere act of writing it down, you're 42% more likely to achieve it than if you don't write it down. Even if you don't review it, just stating the intention Gosh. clearly like that sets something in motion. 
it's just a no brainer. I mean, that's how, how simple is that? And did that take into account whether you're putting it in your own handwriting or if we use a digital form and put it in our phone, does that constitute writing it down? Yeah, it didn't. And then I found people that are on both sides of the issue. She didn't research that. I'd, mm -hmm. I'd love to do that sometime research. You're right. That. Now, for me personally, and you, may, you, you and I may disagree on this, I do everything digitally. Mm -hmm. But I have people that swear there's something that gets in your uh, nervous system when you actually write it down and gets lodged in your brain that's better. Yeah, I do a little bit of both. You do? Yeah. Yeah, I, I ha it has to be digital because I will lose that piece of paper. That's me. And, and I want it constantly in front of me so that I'm remembering what it is I'm working towards. But sometimes my brain goes faster than my acrylic nails can type. <laughs> so I have to put it on paper for that reason. I, I mean, I can hardly write anymore. You know, I've been on the computer <laughs> for so long that my handwriting is deteriorated to the, to the place that I can hardly what, read what I've written. So I like doing it digitally. Thank goodness, right? Right. What do you suggest people do when they have set a goal for themselves and they just realize either I shouldn't be doing this or, or this is seriously unrealistic or it just doesn't align with now what it is I desire. Yeah, this is the cool thing. I, I actually just covered this uh, a few months ago in a blog post because I was facing the same thing. I'd had, hmm. had this goal. Uh, it was a Platform University membership drive that we were doing. And on the first day that the card opened, we got about less than half of what we thought we would. Mm -hmm. So I began to panic and I began to think, oh my gosh, what are we doing wrong? And so then, I, of course, I realized as a blogger, no, wait a second, this is material for a blog post. And then I got excited. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's it has right. Way, it has a day of, way of redeeming any of the bad experiences in your life. Yeah. But, but no, I, I seriously thought about this. I think you really have three choices whenever you're facing a, a goal that you're about to miss. And one is just to uh, recommit to the goal, to say, no, wait a second, I'm outside of my comfort zone. I know I'm feeling fear. I'm feeling some uncertainty. Take a deep breath. That's normal. That's okay. Doesn't mean I'm going to miss the goal. I really haven't given it a chance. So I'm going to, I'm going to recommit myself to this. And this is what we did in the platform university case. And we ended up with like 35% uh, beyond our goal, uh, our best case goal. But it was, it was only because we recommitted ourselves and got serious about examining everything. So mm. recommitting is one option. Another one is simply revising the goal. Sometimes, you know, after you've thought about it, you've given it a chance, you just say, look, this goal needs to be revised. Good example of that is I, w I had scheduled myself to run the country music half marathon in Nashville, Tennessee earlier this uh, year. And I ended up getting sick a couple weeks before it blew out my training. And I asked myself the question, is it important that I run a half marathon this year? And I said, yeah, it is for me. Mm -hmm. It's important. Do I have to run this one? No. And so I just rescheduled for later this year. In fact, it's coming up in a couple of weeks. So revision is totally an acceptable uh, way to deal with it. And then sometimes you just have to remove it. You know, it just, mm. it, it's become irrelevant. It's not important to you any longer. And sometimes it's worth just doing away with that goal and get, get, getting something that's more uh, relevant at the time. My issue, Shalene, is that is not that what people pick so much, but that they do it intentionally. They realize there are more than, there's more than one option. And you don't throw goal setting out when it looks like you're going to miss a, a goal. You just either recommit. That's always my first choice. Revise if you can't recommit. And then remove it if you can't do the other two. Yeah, that's good. I fear sometimes with working with um, you know, coaching clients that sometimes they have a reluctance of 
letting go or changing course because they don't want to feel as though they're a quitter. It's like, well, I put this out there and I said I was going to do it, so now I'm going to do it. But in their reverse engineering of the goal, they find out that it doesn't align with their priorities or it it was maybe for the wrong reason. And yet it was it's on their list. And so they they just it's really hard for them to take it off without crossing it off. You know, honestly, it's hard for me too. Hmm. Is it hard for you? Not anymore. I mean, it, it definitely was. I mean, there was an award that I was trying to win for so many years with the Idea uh, World Fitness Organization. They had this Instructor of the Year Award, right? And I was like the Susan Lucci of that award. Like every year I was one of the top three <laughs> finalists and I'm like, I must win this award. You know, because and, and my husband would say, why? I'm like, well, because every every year I try to. He's like, no, no, but why? It takes you so long to apply and then you've got to do all of the stuff and you have to make sure you meet all the criteria that year. And and I'm just asking you why. And he just asked me enough of my own questions. I'm like, yeah, you're right. It doesn't, let's, you know, think about it. It doesn't align with my priorities. But that was before I had a, a statement that I could use. And now I've got this like really long written out key priority statement so that when I read it, if it doesn't, if it's not in agreement with that statement, I'm like, yeah, okay, I can let go of this. Well, the, the challenge is when you've got sunk cost in something. And mm-hmm. you and I were talking offline uh, about Greg McEwen's book, Essentialism, but he talks about this sunk cost bias where you've invested a lot in it and all of a sudden you realize that it's not in alignment with your key priorities mm-hmm. or your mission statement or whatever, but your vision of where you're going. And now you're faced with the difficult decision of, of throwing it away. And uh, I faced this this very year, um, and, and frankly, it was a result of reading Greg's book, but I was a partner in a business called Dynamic Communicators International, and we put on three conferences a year. We put on something called the SCORE Conference, which is where we teach uh, public speakers how to speak, deliver more dynamic speeches, and single best conference I've ever attended, by the mm. way. And then the second one's called the Launch Conference, and it's all about creating a business of public speaking, and then the Platform Conference coming out of my book. Right. So I got to the point this year where I said, you know what? I don't believe that I need to be about helping people be public speakers. It's fine for other people, but in the last two years, I've intentionally and strategically turned my business inside out to go from less uh, non-recurring income, like Mm -hmm. speaking fees, to more recurring income. So I made a very difficult decision with a very good friend who is my partner, who still is a very good friend, and I just said, "Uh, Ken... I need to exit this business. If I was going to do this business, I'd want to do it in partnership with you. But this really isn't where I feel like I need to go. And so that was a case because it's hard for me to quit and I get it, you know, all caught up in loyalty and all that stuff. But I just said, I've got to strategically quit this or I can't go to the next level. It's going to hold me back. Wow. That's so courageous. And I, I just share with people, what was your thought process before having that conversation? Was there fear? Were you worried how he would receive it? Totally. I mean, I was, I mean, I literally procrastinated for a couple of months. I kind of knew the decision when I first had it, but then it took me several months to work up the courage to have the conversation because I didn't want to hurt his feelings. I know how important our relationship is to him. And I just got to the place. And this, this was a big lesson for me. And it's like a recurring theme in my life. Whenever I'm trying to protect somebody from something that's the truth, what I'm really doing is I'm diminishing them. I'm thinking they can't handle it. Somehow mm. they're fragile. Yeah. And I said, you know what? Ken is not fragile. 
he's a great man. He can handle this and, and he deserves to know the truth about how I feel about this because if he's going to have a partner, he needs to have a partner that's all in, I mean, emotionally and everything else. And so that, that finally got me to the place where I, I scheduled the meeting and then I went in and I literally had talking points typed up <laughs> because I, I wanted to make sure that I didn't, you know, misspeak and I, I said the right things. And he was awesome. I mean, he just, he received it all so well. And he's, and he said, of course, look, I've known this is coming. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was no secret to him. And, and I mean, just then it became a time of, you know, kind of celebrating our friendship. And, and then I just said, look, if I were you, here's where I would take the business. Then I just totally went into consulting mode and it was awesome because I think <laughs> I had great ideas for him. Well, that's just a, such a great story for people who struggle with something they have to do, but they feel this fear and anxiety and they, but they know it's the right thing to do. And when you take a moment to put your thoughts down on paper, as you did, even with someone who you know, like super well, and yeah. it wasn't that you were at a loss of words or you didn't know your argument. You just want to make sure it's right. And I think it's okay to come in with notes so you can say, I just want to make sure I... I share this in the right way and don't become emotional, number one. And number two is that when we do courageous things like that, even if it doesn't turn out perfect, it's always a success. It's always a win because you're being honest, you're being courageous, and you lived. And I bet there's been a tremendous payoff because you made that decision. Oh, totally. It's freed up my headspace to pursue the goals that are really important to me uh, at this place in my life. And frankly, it's freed him up too. And so I think we're going to both go forward and, and flourish as a result of that. But it's hard on the other side of the decision to, to have the courage to do it. But mm -hmm. and probably had this experience. Every time I've done that, I've walked into it. I can't think of a, a single bad experience where I looked back with regret and said, oh, man, I should have opened that can of worms. Yeah. And, you know, and to bring it back to, to goal setting, when people make a list of goals, should they factor in business partners and our spouses like when you think of your goals michael are they primarily business related and do you allow other areas of your life like your faith or your family to factor into your goal setting yeah i have goals in every area because the way that my life shows up is, is as a seamless whole <laughs> you know it's not it's not like i have this compartment called corporate especially being in business for myself and so it all runs together, you know, my life of faith, my marriage, my relationship with my kids. I mean, my kids could show up at any time during the day and want to go to lunch or whatever. I want to be free to do that. So I've, I've got relationships for my, or my goals for my friendships. I've got goals for, um, I'm just looking back over my last year of goals. I've got certainly probably seven of the 10 are business related, but there are mm -hmm. three others that are very much personal. How many goals do you set for yourself? Do you, or should, I should say, maybe a better question is, what do you recommend other people do? Is there a certain number and is there a certain number of times we should be goal setting? Like, is it just in January? Well, let me answer that with this. And I think that one big mistake that people make is that they create too many goals. And there's this famous Chinese proverb that I love that says, man who chases two rabbits catches neither. So it probably does have to be more than one goal. You know, I'm not advocating for that. But I think in the range of seven to 10 mm -hmm. is max. Now, I used to have people that worked for me when I was a CEO of a corporation who would come in. I'd give them this, this rule and they would come in and then they would have sub goals under the goals. You know, so they could like try to sneak in these other goals. Mm -hmm. And the problem is we can't focus on that many. Yeah. That's, that's a recipe for doing nothing. Yeah. And I'll often find that when people have a huge list of goals, some of those goals are actually to do 
items. You know, it's like clean the garage. Well, that's a to-do list. You know, yeah. that's not a goal. I mean, it is a goal, but it, it's really more aligned with like something you could do that weekend. Yeah. And, and particularly in the, in the way that I frame it in the best year ever stuff that I do is it's really about how could I be the architect of this next year such that it really is looking back on it my best year ever. Now, it doesn't mean you won't have a even better year the year after, but for right now, what would it take? What would have to be true at the end of this next year for this year to be truly your best year ever? What would that look like in your mm -hmm. health? What would it look like in your most significant relationships? What would it look like in your business? What would it look like in your friendships or your social life? But to realize, and this is the amazing thing, I think the, the gift that we've been given as humans is we have the ability to create this stuff. We don't have 100% control of you know, all the factors that come into play, but we have a lot more agency than we sometimes give our credit, ourselves credit for. Mm. And the alternative to this is just kind of drifting through life, hoping you end up at the right destination. And I don't, I've, you know, I've tried that before. That doesn't work so well either. The other extreme of that is being so driven that you try to knuckle down and control everything. And I'm, I'm really advocating something in the middle that I would call the designed life hmm. where, where you, you, you set an intention and you set some goals in all of your life and you start moving toward that as, as an architect, realizing that you're going to have to make adjustments as you, as you go along, but still getting pretty clear on what you want from your life. And when you do that, do you sit down with Gail and say, okay, here's where, honey, I think our life could be five years from now, or here's where I'm hoping it will be. Do you sit down with her or do you create that together? We actually create it individually. Mm -hmm. And then we sit down and talk together about our individual goals, because ultimately those do have to be in alignment. And does she ever go, oh, hell no, you are not. That, <laughs> that is no part of what I want five years from now. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, we've been married for 36 years. So... um and, and I really will say, honestly, she's my best friend. So we have a lot of the same thoughts. And we, this is usually coming out of a lot of a conversation anyway. I mean, we're talking every day. And yeah. so there's very, very few times when I get a, a surprise on there. She, she did have a surprise on me a couple of years ago because she had taken up painting. Mm -hmm. And this is like something she never pursued, hmm. ever. And she discovered like this hidden talent. And I mean, she's really good. And so, you know, that would became one of her goals for this last year was to to take some painting classes and really try to learn this craft of of painting. But it's something she hadn't talked about. But that's like the that's the exception. Yeah. You know, and I I'm sure you're aware that recently I merged Build Your Tribe, my Build Your Tribe podcast with the Shaleen show and and I had this really cool opportunity to hear from people who listen to the podcast. And I heard from so many women in particular who said, you know, I'm, I'm really not interested in the goal setting or the success strategies. I'm really happy with my life. Uh, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I just enjoy listening to your voice. Mm. And there was a part of me that that made me sad. And I, I just want you to speak to those people right now who think that goal setting is for people who have their own business, who are entrepreneurs, or that goal setting is something you do when you're dissatisfied. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. No, it's not something you do when you're uh, dissatisfied. Like I honestly, I love my life right now. I've got a phenomenal business. I've got a great marriage. All five of my daughters live in this area. I'm great mm -hmm. friends with my son-in-laws. I've got four son-in-laws and um, all that's good, but I'm going to be setting goals this next year because here's the deal. A couple things. One is, and I learned this from Tony Robbins, but happiness comes from the pursuit of a goal, not at arriving at a destination. Yay. I love that. And if you're making significant progress towards a goal that's meaningful to you, 
that's where the juice and the happiness in life is, not mm -hmm. in arriving there. Yeah. So part of what I love about setting big goals is that it requires me to become something more than I am. So different things have to show up in my life that aren't mm -hmm. there before. I have to learn new things. I have to develop new skills. I have to, to explore different ways of relating to people. And if I don't have goals, it's very easy to stay inside of the comfort zone. And there is nothing important that happens in your life inside of the comfort zone. All the big gains, all the big growth comes when you're willing to be uncomfortable. It all happens in the discomfort zone. doesn't mean you have to live there, you know, 100% of the time. But unless we uh, intentionally step into those realms, we stop growing. Yeah. And this is why people get unhappy. And it just makes you feel alive. Me too. You know, I um, teach this concept of goal setting that helps people identify which goal to start with. Because we often, I find anyways, myself included, when I make a list of goals, there's one that I'm like, yeah, I really, really am excited about taking a month off like Michael Hyatt did and and just no work and waking up each day and letting the day take me where it will. But if I just focused on that goal, there's like nine others that are really important that might not happen. So I teach something called a push goal. But how do you personally, Michael, how do you look at your list and go, okay, well, here's the goals that I should prioritize? Yeah, and I do prioritize them. And I quote you on the push goal because I think it's a great concept. Now, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but this is like um, a, a goal that if you were to push it over like dominoes would yep. make all the others fall. Right? Exactly. Yay. Thank you. Hey. That's an honor. So, um, so I do teach people that. And so I look at all my goals and mm -hmm. I say, okay, of all these goals, what is the one goal that if I were to do it and you know, it's like that book, the one thing would make everything else easier mm -hmm. or unnecessary. Mm, yeah, or unnecessary. Yes. Very good. And it's not always the one that is the most exciting or most important to you, but it carries the most weight. That's right. That's absolutely right. Now, can I ask, does that one often seem to be financially related? Oftentimes it does. Mm. It, it, because it's not that, for me at least, um, it's not that the money is, is important. Right. But it's, it's that that for me represents more margin mm. and more ability to do in the world the things that I want to do. Yeah. That's help people or create new things that will help people. So oftentimes it is financial. And in fact, this last year, um, my number one, my push goal was a financial goal. Mm. Yeah, me too. And I, I guess sometimes I feel not reluctant, but I, I just don't want people to get the wrong impression that my push goal is this financial thing because not everyone knows what I mean by push goal. And I don't want them to think this is the most important thing, right. but it, it, it allows the most important things to happen. And I think the other place where people get stuck, and I would love your insight, is they set a goal for themselves and they're really excited about it and they've given it measure and they've given it a due date and done the things that we know are important in goal setting. But then they still say, I don't know where to start. Yeah, that can be a real hang up for people. And, and, you know, I, I used to be part of this goal setting process, strategic planning in the corporate world where we'd go off for a couple of days and we'd formulate a strategic plan and we'd fill up notebooks of action plans and we'd get back to the office and we'd get right back into life and we'd be overwhelmed and the book would go up on a shelf and we'd never look at it again. Mm. Oh my gosh. So I think over planning is the bigger risk. And I think, you know, if you're building a nuclear submarine, 
yes, you need a comprehensive plan, A to Z. You got to know the whole thing. But that's not how life is, most of it. And really what most of us need to know is what the next step is. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, if, if I'm attempting a goal where I can figure out the whole plan, the goal's not big enough. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I want a goal that I'm not exactly clear how I'm going to accomplish it because it's outside of my comfort zone and I can't see past that that barrier. But I, I usually know what the next step is. You know, maybe making a phone call, sending an email, uh, buying a resource, something that that gets me on the path. And there's something about life that as you're in motion, you get clarity. I almost never get clarity when I'm sitting down. I have to be in motion mm. toward the goal to get clarity. And the more I'm moving toward it, the more clarity I'm going to get, and then it accelerates. Does that make sense? It does. You know, you. But I think that's what people fear is that their next step towards this big goal should be a big step. And what you just said was, you know, I'll I'll write an email, I'll buy a book. Like those are the tiny little teeny first steps that people are afraid it's the wrong step. But it, it, you just got to move, like you said. You just you just got to move. And the small a Google search is your next step. Like just start and don't be afraid that it's too small or in the wrong order. And if you're uncertain, make a huge brainstorming list and then just go, okay, well, what five of these doesn't make yes. sense are probably first. That's exactly right. I mean, I, I really believe in something that I call the power of incremental change over time. You know, just a series of consistent steps over time that yield a big result. And you, you certainly see this in the fitness world where people are trying to lose weight or get in the best shape of their life or whatever it is, that it's just that, that consistency day in and day out that yields the big result. It's not mm-hmm. usually, um, you know, that one massive action, that big thing that you that you do. I wish it were that easy. Like a, just, like a big salad or a long run and bam, look at this bam. body. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We wish. We wish. Well, you know, I, I have to ask you this because one of the things that really draws me to you and to mentors who... I become their lifers is how they treat their spouse. And the Mm. fact that you're always referring to her and that you, I mean, whether you realize it or not, you teach marriage in your podcast by example. And one thing I think everyone needs to do, and I'm going to challenge them to do this year is to set a goal for their important relationship, whether it's your spouse or your very best friend or your, your mother. But, how is it we set a goal with measure and a due date as it comes to our significant other? Well, that's a great question. And, you know, probably it's going to be setting an, an incremental goal. Like, like maybe you, you're in a relationship and she or he is not your best friend, but hmm. you would love that. Well, that's not very specific, right? But could you begin uh, the practice of a date night once a week? Mm-hmm. Or maybe, and this happened to uh, Gail and to me early in our relationship, we were about five years into our marriage, when it just wasn't working. And I know she was thinking about divorce. I was thinking about divorce. We didn't want to give voice to it, but we were both thinking about it. And um, we decided to go in for counseling. Yeah. And you know, to be totally transparent, I decided she needed to go in for counseling. <laughs> I did that too. <laughs> and I, kind of thought, I thought it was her problem. Can I tell you the story real quickly? Oh God, please. I'm dying. So she, so she comes after me, like she's doing this like for six weeks. And then finally she comes to me and I said, Hey, how's the counseling going? And she's, it's going great. She said, uh, Dr. Pannebecker, who was the counselor, <laughs> wants to see you at our next session. I'm like, well, what do I have to do with this? You know, this, <laughs> this I mean, literally I, it wasn't, yeah. I was being arrogant. Well, I mean, not on purpose. I just couldn't see it. 
And I said, okay. And I was really grumbling about it. I was not happy that I had to go see the counselor. So I went in and I thought, oh, brother. And, uh, you know, I sit down, we ex exchange pleasantries. And so he sits back and then he asked me this question. And he says, I just have one question for you. He said, why are you so driven? Mm. Now, the truth was, I was working about 12 hours a day. I was investing nothing in this relationship mm. with this woman. And he like hit the nail on the head. I literally started weeping. Mm. Because I knew he'd, I, I knew I'd been outed. Yeah. And so then it, become, it went from being her problem to being our problem. And it shifted everything. Because then we began to work on it together. And I think there's so many couples that feel like they're trapped in a relationship. And they can't get out. And they can't improve it. And they're not sure what to do. But there are so many resources today. Yeah. Whether it's books or counseling. But it begins by setting an intention. And saying, you know, I want something better. I deserve something better. I want something better. And I'm willing to work to get there. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I think smart people find experts and they don't, smart people don't assume that they're so smart they can do their own brain surgery or their own dental work. Perfect. And so why not? I mean, Brett and I are also big proponents of therapy, marriage therapy, individual therapy. We take on coaching clients but with a prerequisite, we won't, they, they can't even apply unless they have done therapy and vow to continue because it's just what smart people do. We're, we just are sometimes too close to ourselves, like you said, to figure out that we are actually part of the problem. And, and my story is so similar to yours. It's, it's great to be a lifer because you're just a little bit ahead of me and I can learn so much from you. And, and uh, thank goodness I've got your podcast because you and Michelle really just Every, every single time I listen, I, I have my notepad out and I handwrite. I've, I've got a yellow legal pad right here just after listening to your last episode. And, and it's always filled with notes and a wealth of knowledge. And I think your approach to goal setting is something that people can really take from. Is there a way we can learn more about how to do this? You know, as a new year approaches, this is the best time. I mean, any time's a good time. So no matter when you're listening to this, it's never, you know, the right month to pick up goal setting, the time is now. But this is such a great opportunity in December when people are thinking about this. How can we learn more? Yeah, and this is why I try to take advantage of kind of the cultural drift toward, you know, new year, new you. And mm -hmm. so, yes, this is a great time, but it's not the only time. But uh, people can find out more at bestyearever.me mm -hmm. uh, slash Shaleen, because I've got a special little welcome for Yay. people. Yay. And uh, I've got a series of three videos there, and uh, we'll be releasing those, and I don't know when this is going to air, but those are going to be released in early December. Mm -hmm. And there's one about what are the secrets of the people who know how to set themselves up for a best year? Mm -hmm. You know, what do they do? Because there's certain behaviors that they, they engage in. Then there's going to be another video. These obviously are already shot. One that's the five characteristics of people who consistently get what they want. And here's the cool thing, Shaleen. The people that, that consistently hit their goals are not people that are smarter than us, have more experience or better contacts. What they have is something about their own thinking that's different than the rest of us. And so I explore that in that second video. But again, and can that be learned? Yes. That's a characteristic that you can learn. Yes. Love it. Well, this has been phenomenal. Is it, you said the third video was? The third video is just where we talk about, okay, if you're serious about this for this next year, what would it look like if you begin to set an intention for creating the best year ever, what would have to be true in order for that to come to pass? It's awesome. 
Michael, it's been an honor to have you on the show. Just um, great conversation. I really respect you. I really admire you. And please say hello to Gail for me. I'm a big fan of hers, too. I follow her on, on Instagram now. She's got a great account. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I, I can't wait till we can meet face to face. Me, too. I hope you'll take Michael up on that offer. I will include the link in my show notes, as always, for the links, as well as that really cool feature that allows you to record me a voice message about the show, which, by the way, I love. Please go to shaleenjohnson.com forward slash podcast. One little note on those voicemail messages. Remember, this is not the place for you to record your autobiography on my website. God bless you. I love you. But let's talk about the show. Don't forget to include your name. If you've got a website, go ahead and give yourself a shout out. But as a wise man or woman once said, be brief, be bright, and be gone. At least until we get a chance to talk again. I love you, lifers. You are the bomb.com.